welcome to Django's News and Updates podcast. These are the updates for June 2014 and I'm Elena Williams. The latest official version of Django is 1.6.5 and the current production versions of Python are 3.4.1 and 2.7.7. So this episode is going to have a quick update about the release of 1.7 and there are large number of package releases recently. There's also a discussion with Janice Lydell about his history with static files. And there's quite a bit of news and several new events to announce. In terms of upcoming deadlines, the real one to keep your eye on is the 1st of August on which the DjangoCon US early bird tickets Finished. So DjangoCon US has been announced and early birds are on sale until the 1st of August. There were no new security updates recently, but about a month and a half ago, there were a whole bunch of security updates that happened. So you should be running one of these versions of Django in production if you are at 1.6.5, 1.5.8 or 1.4.13. And the 1.4.13 is the long-term support version. And if you're not running one of these in production, you should be updating them as soon as you can. Release news on the 26th of June, James Bennett announced the release of the Django 1.7 release candidate number one. And he says, It's almost here. He says, Tonight we're pleased to announce the first release candidate package for Django 1.7. This release has been quite a while in the making and includes several major new features. There's new built in schema migration framework, improved tools for validating and checking your projects, and a complete refactor of the way that Django identifies and loads your applications and support for custom database lookups. And that's just the biggest highlight. For a full rundown of features, Go and check out the in-development 1.7 release notes on the Django project website. As with all pre-release packages, this is not for production use, but if you'd like to take some of the new features out for a spin or to help find and fix bugs, which should be reported in the issue tracker on the Django project website, you can grab a copy of the release package from the downloads page. And as always, signed MD5 and CHAR1 checksums of the 1.7 release candidate package are available. Now, according to Andrew Godwin, the 1.7 release manager, the release candidate is out for at least two weeks to pick up any other last bugs or regressions that have been introduced. And there's often a second release candidate. So the very soonest we can expect Django 1.7 to be released will be mid-July, but it will likely be a bit later than that still. In this time, Python 2.7.7 was released. This is just a small dot release and it's described as being a regularly scheduled 2.7 series bug fix and includes numerous bugs fixes over 2.7.6. The last point release for 2.7 was in November last year. In other Django-related releases, there was a lot of action recently. So let's dive into it. Firstly, there's PyCharm 3.4. And they've said that despite the minor version number, PyCharm 3.4 is a major release, particularly in the way that they're up to date with the latest versions of Python 3.4 and Django 1.7 and others. So if you're into that as a text editor, you can go out and grab the latest one. 
So normally I look at the Fantastic Django Packages website and look up all of the packages that have a lot of users or a lot of downloads and see if any of them have had new releases. And this time there were just a lot. So I've kind of tried to logically group them. So if you use any of these Django packages, be sure to check out the new versions. Uh, there might be something important in the update. So uh, Django Facebook, Python Social Auth and Django All Auth, Django Page CMS and ActivityStream are all packages that were recently updated. Uh, Django model translations, Django floppy forms, Django extensions, Django filer, Django reversion, Django compressor and web assets have also all had new releases lately. Cartridge and Raven both had new releases and Django rest framework and Django tasty pie both had new releases lately too. <music> So I'm here talking to Janice Liddell and we're going to talk about static files. So I was wanting to ask him about the long history of static files because we were just saying that it's been a pain point in the past and it's a really interesting feature. So Janice, if you could tell us on the background for that. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks again for, for all that you, know, you kind of asked me. I think <laughs> it's one of my uh, favorite stars, to be honest, for when it comes to Django. So looking back, right now we are close to Django 1.7. So looking back like a couple of years ago, when I started to work on Django, which was around like 1.0 time, there wasn't really a good strategy and a good documentation how to handle static files other than explaining how to set up Apache. So that was basically that we had a huge issue with how we, as a project, explain beginners how to handle actually uh, complex matters of front-end files. So one thing that, uh, that as part of my work as a Django app author, basically not a core developer, was figuring that out in many ways. And I was part of a group that was centered around the idea of how to define what a reusable app, a Django app was, uh, which was called the Django Hut Club, you know, around the idea of um, having kind of an experimental area outside of the core team to figure out a couple of issues. And one of those was, of course, also handling static files. Eventually, that kind of project, uh, the Django Hot Club, developed this project called Pinax, which was supposed to be, you know, the Drupal of Django in many ways. That kind of turned out rather badly and actually never went anywhere. But part of that, Pinax, was figuring out uh, how we could, for each of the so-called Pinax projects, handle the shipped static files. So uh, we built a management command at the time. Uh, we tried to... Uh, or after that, this predates collect static? Uh, yes, absolutely. So that was definitely basically, uh, it was still called build underscore static. So build static was was the name. It was a very simplified, like 100 lines of code or something that looked in some conventional locations in the project layout and copied things around so you can easily configure just one location that the server is supposed to be uh, serving. I mean, that's kind of one, one of the design decisions that we made very early and it is still there today, even though Collect Static is doing a little, a little bit more of a work since then. What happened then, though, we realized that working on Pinex projects, that we wanted to strip out a couple of those features and release them as separate apps, as standalone apps. And that was basically the start of static files as an external app developed outside of Pinex and outside of Django. So I took the well that code, which was very simple, and more or less revamped it to be a little bit more generic, a little bit more 
matching to what we actually had previously seen in Django about um, configuring an extensible system. In this case, it was closely copying the API of template loading and template system, hence the um, static files, dear settings, and the static files finders very much designed around that idea. So we did a couple of releases of Django static files as a third-party app. And we maintained it and had a, a good following of people actually using it in production as well. So that was kind of a great success. Um, so how does static files work, really? So did you copy the, the, the way it's arranged from templates like that influenced the way um, it's designed? So what's the actual blow-by-blow blow functioning of static files? Okay, I mean, if we dissect it a little bit, it actually does a couple of things. So first of all, obviously, the, from the user perspective, there's a collect static command. And when you run it, what it does, actually, it in, uh, looks at the setting called um, static, static files finders, which is a list of callables, by default, a list of pa- uh, dotted paths yeah. to um, classes that each have a defined API to look at different locations for files. It's really, really very uh, very generically uh, written. The default setup of Django projects nowadays includes two of those finders. One is to look for static files in applications, so in a so-called static subdirectory in the, um, Django applications. And the other one is it looks in those paths that you've already configured in a different uh, setting called static files ds. So in other words, there we cover similar to what the template engine does. Mm-hmm. We we support application-level um, isolation of static files, as well as a configurable so-called project-level um, static files location. So, um, were there any problems with that? No, I mean, the good news is that the Finder API, when I designed it, it was very focused on providing the simplest as possible. So it literally has a list dir method, for example, and a, yeah. a, and a find method. So it's yeah. really designed to be as simple as possible when it comes to def- making sure that when you run the collect static management command, it's easy to trace where the files came from. Yeah, yeah so that's something that I think many people are actually willing to, uh, you know, wanted to see is that if we are, as a Django app at a time, want to you know, offer a convention that it needs to be easier to understand. Uh, admittedly, that didn't quite work out, <laughs> out so well, so we had a couple of problems with the documentation at first. But um, mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I it's clearer now, but a few versions ago it was a bit harder to understand how it worked. Um, but another comment I was going to quickly make was that um, I'm regularly impressed by how by the syncing with static files is... Um, in Django is really reliable. Like I've never ever had a problem with it, which has surprised me because usually, with that kind of feature, it, you can run into problems or things won't copy properly or you have duplications or some stuff like that. But I think with Collect Static in Django is really good for that, and that can't be incidental. Like you guys must have worked really hard. Yeah, I think you know one one thing that helped, and I think honestly we are che- we cheated a little bit. We used the pattern that we we walked through a couple of options where files could be, and at those locations we look for. Files Files. And honestly, I mean, I, uh, I don't, I mean, in proper computer science speak, that would be probably called something. Uh, you know, in many ways, that's actually me trying to understand myself made it a little bit simplified and probably that, that's why it's also stable enough or like solid enough that it can, can hold together like in different use cases. Something that I always struggled with and that was also a feature that we only later added that after those loca- files are actually located in the different locations, basically the step that 
writes them to a different location. Um, so at first we had, yeah, uh, we, yeah. li we literally did a copy uh, on the file mm -hmm. system. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's, that was a very stable thing. We could just could uh, you know, rely on the fact that Python is good at using the file system level uh, method. The rise of cloud hosting and service-oriented architectures and web development, the more people wanted to use like uh, storage systems that weren't on the server that they were deploying things. So what I decided, I'm not sure whether it was before we put static files into Django or whether it was still in the third-party app, but at some point we added the ability to configure also the, the storage system that is being used by collect static when it tries to collect those together, basically, the, at the end, of, after the finding phase into the writing phase, basically. And that's I think that's when a couple of actual issues showed up yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it, of course, the default behavior is that it uses the file system storage class, just the one that basically Django uh, ships with, which is decently stable and works very well. And it's more, more or less um, the thing that we used before. But when we try to do the same thing with, uh, with Amazon's uh, storage system, or like, uh, what did we try it with? Like an NFS store, we tried it at the time, and the FTP storage system, and all the potential, sometimes even exotic ways of storing static files, like in various <laughs> en enterprise en environments. Yeah. Um, and there's all kinds of craziness with storing static files. Yeah. All the craziness, you know, really big files and charted, and you know, all kinds. Exactly, of and, and that's uh, something that. Uh, frankly, and exotic file types. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I so think that's why I'm impressed by the stability. I guess because it seems to be really, really bombproof as a yeah, as a feature. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's where we are kind of, um, in many ways, also profit from the way that we have a, a very vivid third-party components uh, community that provides storage systems for various types, whether it would be uh, the different cloud providers or whether it be some exotic file system uh, network-based or whatever. And I think that was kind of the big advantage of uh, using this the, the Django storage API. But on the other hand, the storage API had some flaws in, in its design as, for example, it wasn't able to con to say whether a file has changed or provide information about when the file was last modified, stuff like that. Yeah, there, yeah. there were basically some endpoints missing when we wanted to make better decisions about whether files should be collected in the first place. Imagine, for example, network-attached storages where it's actually costly to transfer files yeah. during a deployment. You don't want to wait for collect static to run for a couple of minutes just to uh, deploy a small hotfix or anything yeah, like yeah. that. So that was, in many ways, a struggle, and I think we, are, uh, some, we haven't really fixed that completely yet. Okay. It's, um, I've seen a couple of other people using it in a simplified manner that they are running collect static to their local build server, then package those those collected files up and then do whatever they need yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. So um, where's it at now? I think there are actually a couple of interesting new developments which just recently, ever since I think Heroku got a lot more traction in the Python community. So static files in itself has been getting only little attention when it comes to new features. Uh, we added, I, or I, I added a couple, um, like two, two releases ago, I added a new storage system that is optional, which is called cached static file storage, which means that during the running of collect static, it also creates a hashed version of each of those files so that you can set a far future expire header on each of those files. And the so-called static template tag is then capable of using that information to always show the correct the latest version of, cool. of, of the file. So that's definitely useful and makes sense. Other than that, honestly, there are more, I think like 
three or four um, extensions on top of static files now out out, uh, out there, you know, done by the third-party comp uh, component uh, community that are basing their their features on the extensibility of collect static. So that's what I'm really proud of is that. Despite that, we are not able to kind of keep up with the, the current trends mm -hmm. in, in handling front-end files, uh, is that they, we still provide enough hooks, apparently, or good enough hooks, I guess, that those developers are able to implement their own workflow. Yeah, and so this is something that I regularly look into as well, whether we could kind of port some of those changes, you know, some of those features over. Um, I think the general gist, though, is that uh, everybody is is happy that it's it's a stable system, and we're waiting on for people to say, well, th <laughs> those things are n not good enough. <laughs> we should you know should probably fix them. Awesome! It's got an interesting uh, history, and it's good that it's stable now. Now that it's all, it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, I think. Well, I, I remember the bad old days pretty clearly. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we always w would love to hear. Well, especially from beginners or from people that do workshops, that if there's something that we are actually missing in the documentation or if there is basically something not very clear, we'd love to hear that. I often have to realize that after a while you uh, lose sight of the beginner perspective mm -hmm. and we've, I think yeah, we've... It becomes second nature how to implement it so it's hard to understand what it was like before you had that understanding. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's where, for example, the very technical orientation of the documentation at first came from, is that I knew all the code, but I never actually thought about, hey, how are beginners going to see it and how, how they are actually going to use it. We've been going over it a couple of times, and I hope that we are good enough now, but as, as always, documentation can always be improved. And mm, yeah. Yeah. And different documentation works for different people, too, sort of, <laughs> really. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Well, cool. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. Well, thank you. News. There's been quite a bit of official Django news lately. Not leastly, there's been a bit of action on the Django Software Foundation board. Now, the Django Software Foundation has different categories of members and there's a list of sponsorship members and developer members, but there's also the board of directors. Now, there are only four people on the board and there are a couple of officers. So what these handful of board members do is they are required to attend a monthly teleconference board meeting and they do any activities that are generated by that. And depending on the business presented to the board, this can be administrative or organisational, for example, representing the board in legal discussions or liaising with groups doing things on the DSF's behalf. So the board is Adrian Olivardi, Russell Keith McGee, Karen Tracy, the secretary is Andy McKay and the treasurer is Joseph Cochran. At the end of May, Jeremy Dunk decided to resign after six years of diligent service and many thanks to Jeremy for all of his hard work. He was the inaugural secretary of the DSF and held that position until last year when he moved onto the board, filling the vacancy that was left by Alex Gaynor. But as a result of Jeremy's resignation, the DSF called out for nominations to replace him as a board member. So there were a very small number of nominations and the nominations could only be made by DSF members. And these were for Kenneth Love, Daniele Prochida and Janice Lydell. And by a vote 
amongst the membership. Janet was the electee and it was announced on the 26th of June that he was unanimously accepted to the board. So Janus is a long-standing member of the community. He joined the core team in 2009 and he is involved in all kinds of things and he's generally a top guy. In fact, just by coincidence, you hopefully just heard that interview with Janice earlier in this very podcast. Really, all of the candidates would have been fantastic and Janice is fantastic as well and I'm sure that the Django Software Foundation will continue to be strong with his contribution. So many thanks to Jeremy and congratulations to Janice for joining the Django Software Foundation board. On the 18th of June, Daniele Pochetta made an announcement looking for any Python users in Namibia. So if anyone out there knows anyone in Namibia and knows particularly any Python users in Namibia, please, please contact this initiative. This project is trying to establish a PyCon in an African city and particularly they'd like to organise it in Windhoek in Namibia. That's W-I-N-D-H-O-E-K. So the support for this project is going and it has the backing of a major British university and is part of a flagship sub-Saharan African project. This project includes the personal involvement of a number of people who have a lot of experience running other projects across Africa and who have numerous local contacts and it also includes the involvement of a lot of experienced community conference organisers. But what's missing is one of the key parts of this project, which is an existing local Python and free software community that could host and benefit from the event. So the point is not for us to organise an event on behalf of local users, but to bring support, funding, expertise, visibility, international participants and so on to make it possible. So the project needs the involvement of an active local community. It doesn't even matter if it's a small community or if the community is only just getting started. The purpose is to help to develop it. So the event can only be staged with the active participation of local users. And if there aren't any local users, there won't be an event. So they really need help making contact with some. So if you have any contacts in Africa, and particularly African software developers, please be sure to hit up this team. There's an email list for anyone who's interested. The email list is a Google group called PyCons in Africa. And that Google group again is PyCons-in-Africa. Our former BDFL and security chief at Heroku, Jacob Kaplan-Moss, posted at the end of May about how Django is now part of Google's security patch reward program. So he says he's pleased to announce that Django is now part of Google's security patch reward program, which is designed to reward proactive security improvements in open source projects. Projects like Chrome and Android and Apache and OpenSSH and now web frameworks, including us. So this isn't a bug bounty program. It's specifically about rewarding patches that have led to significant proactive improvements in security. So for frameworks like Django, that could include things like substantial improvements to the cross-site scripting or CSRF protection or patches that increase the default security profile for new applications or systemic fixes for common security issues or that kind of thing. So to be eligible, patches must also ship, i.e. get merged into Django, and then be shipped as part of release. And that's a pretty substantial bar, but the rewards are pretty substantial as well. So they're willing to pay up to $10,000 for high-impact security improvements. He goes on to say... 
The Django team takes application security very seriously and we hope that participating in this program will help to motivate developers to work with us to increase our security profile even more. So for more details about the program and what sort of things are eligible and how to claim the reward, see the Security Patch Rewards Program page, which is on the google.com website at google.com slash about slash app security as one word slash patch hyphen rewards. And as always, if you do have any security vulnerabilities to report Please do not post them anywhere publicly. That includes the developers list. Send them to security at Django Project. This is a confidential list. It will be handled by the correct people in the correct manner. And lastly in news, the high-performance Django Kickstarter was successfully funded on the 12th of June to the tune of $13,190 of their pledge goal of $5,000. So this was a Kickstarter by Peter Baumgartner from the Lincoln Loop about a ebook he's going to release for people to learn how to build and deploy fast scalable Django sites. And it's awesome to see as they overshot their funding, their stretch goal that they met was that if they raised more than $10,000, which they did, that they said that they're going to donate 10% of sales after fees to the DSF. So, and thanks to the friendly folk there at the Lincoln Loop. Also, just as a quick follow-up to the other recent Django Kickstarter, there was a, the Kickstarter by Mark Tamlin back over February and March about improved PostgreSQL support for Django, and he was successfully raised £14,411 of the original pledge amount, which was only £2,500. Uh, he gave a talk at the recent Django Island event last month, so that's well worth checking out if you're interested in PostgreSQL support in Django. And what he says is about when it will be released. He says that the project is very modular. You could say that there are in fact 20 or more smaller projects with each data type being a feature on its own. So this means that each part can be reviewed and merged individually. So work will start towards the 1.8 release of Django. You'll start to see the improved Postgres support for Django being incorporated into Django. And he says that for full text search and some of the more advanced cases like the enum data type, they'll hopefully land for 1.9. He says stretch goals may take a little longer. And those stretch goals, again, was for improved database lookups for all data types, Postgres-specific custom lookups for existing fields, custom indexes, but the stretch goal for views and materialized views wasn't quite hit it was just off unfortunately but uh, maybe mark will incorporate those sometime in the long distance future and again if you have an interest it's probably worth checking out the youtube video of his talk called the future of postgresql in django by mark tamlin and that's m-a-r-c-t-a-m-l-y-n Events. So there are two large DjangoCon events scheduled for the rest of the year. The big announcement is that DjangoCon US has been announced and will be held from the 30th of August to the 6th of September 2014 in Portland, Oregon. And it's going to be eight days of social events, tutorials, talks and sprints. The website is djangocon.us 
and the main conference talks will be from September 2 till 4, which is the Labor Day weekend. Uh, it will start on the 30th of August with social events and tutorials, and it will end in two days of sprints. As with previous years, there will be a travel grant program to assist with people with financial difficulties, and the application process for the grants program will be announced soon. Also, if you're interested in sponsoring the event or know anybody who might be, please feel free to contact jongocon.us about sponsorship details. And early birds close for this conference on the 1st of August, so buy a ticket as soon as you can. There is also DjangoCon AU, which is happening as a mini conference attached to PyCon AU, which is happening soon now, on the 1st of August 2014. You can buy a ticket just for the single day of DjangoCon AU, which is 50 Australian dollars, or you can buy it as part of the whole conference package. This is being held in Brisbane, Australia. And I'm pretty excited and I'm actually giving a talk at PyCon AU about this very podcast and I've also been helping to organise that as well with Russell Keith McGee. Other exciting Django event news is that there is a free Django workshop for women at EuroPython. This is called Django Girls and it's an initiative aiming to introduce women who have never coded before to the world of technology and increase the diversity of the European Python community. So this will be part of EuroPython 2014 in Berlin on the 21st of July and it's had incredible support. They've received a ton of sponsorship and they have some amazing mentors and coaches who are involved including a handful of Django core developers and it's many, many thanks to both Ola Satarski and Ola Sendeka for organising this incredible initiative. And in addition to this, there is also going to be a Django Girls event held as part of PyCon AU, which I'm going to be organising. This has just been announced and this is going to be held on the 4th of August 2014 on the first day of the sprints for PyCon AU with the intention of introducing some non-male programmers or future programmers to being involved in open source and hopefully to become involved in sprints projects. I'm really proud to be involved with this. Well, that's it for another podcast. So if you've got any news that you'd like to report or any community requests for volunteers or anything that you'd like to add to the blog, just email scoop at djangoproject.com and the news will get passed around. So this has been the Django News and Updates podcast for June 2014. Thanks as always to Adrian Holovati for the music and talk to you again real soon. I'm Elena Williams.